Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Black Friday is on the way, and uh, it's a time when a lot of people have to face what could be fairly called an addiction to shopping. And today's episode is about addiction. All the way back in 2015, you guys, we were talking about addiction in a way that still needs to be explored today. It's true. And it's something that we're seeing a lot of movement in, um, in terms of the acceptance of psychedelics and various kinds of treatments uh, for depression and anxiety. And it's something that's still very much progressing and we're keeping an eye on. But here is us talking about it in more of the early days. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me, alternating, variegating, opening and then closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in a constant flux. Ben, Ben, are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm uh, actually just reading a quotation from a guy named Albert Hoffman. Uh, This comes from April 19th, 1943, a day that some of you out there will recognize for its importance. 
But uh, wait, who are you again? What are we doing? Oh yeah, uh, this. Okay, so we're in the podcast room. My name is Matt. I'm Ben. We're here with our super producer Noel Owsley Brown, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Yes, you doing all right, Matt? Yeah, I'm fine, man. Everything's good in the neighborhood, right, guys? Uh, right, Noel? <laughs> you just look a little mm, paranoid, a little different. No, no, I'm fine. I just want to talk about Albert Hoffman, right? Oh, yeah. Tell us about Albert Hoffman. So he's the guy who is considered the the person who discovered LSD as a hallucinogen because he, he took a famous bike ride, right? He accidentally spilled a little on himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, and took the most astonishing bike ride in history up to that time, uh, probably since the invention of the penny farthing. This idea of LSD as a hallucinogen was relatively new, but LSD had been synthesized before. And since that time, numerous people have claimed that LSD and other drugs called hallucinogens have abilities far beyond those of the typical recreational drugs like alcohol or marijuana. That's right. And there are lots of weird stories that go along with LSD that kind of create this uh, this mythos mm-hmm. of LSD. There's one that's kind of a true story about Francis Crick. You may have heard that name before and how he, quote, discovered the double helix shape uh, of DNA that we're all familiar with mm-hmm. while he was on an acid trip. However, mm-hmm. while it is true that Crick and James Watson, along with Maurice Wilkins, did work on DNA, they didn't necessarily discover it. Right. The The person who is the MVP of the DNA story there is a British biophysicist named Rosalind Franklin. She photographed DNA, but she was snubbed at the Nobel Prize ceremony. Uh, she also died four years before it was awarded. And for those familiar with the Nobel Prize, you'll recall that they are not awarded posthumously. But it sounds like Crick and Watson... Crick and Watson snubbed her. Make no mistake, Crick, huge fan of LSD. Mm-hmm. But that story in itself has uh, grains of things that are not entirely true. And if you if you hear a lot of people talking about Crick, uh, make sure that you mention Rosalind Franklin as well. <laughs> there is, however, a story about LSD, which is absolutely true. It's the old tale you may have heard about once upon a time, a professional baseball player here in the States uh, being just tripping balls yeah. high out of his mind. Quite literally. Yes, and pitching a no-hitter. And there have only been, I think, maybe 247 no-hitters in the history of pro baseball. Not many. Yeah, not many, but... Mm, listeners write in. I'm sure our baseball fans will check me on this mm-hmm. one because I can't remember where I found that number. But how did this happen, Matt? Well, uh, the gentleman's name is Doc Ellis, and there's a documentary out on Netflix right now that you can watch called No No, a documentary with spelled D-O-C-K. It's pretty funny. I actually watched it. This is one of my father-in-law's favorite stories. So Doc Ellis was kind of known for... Uh, Doing some strange things while he was pitching, like drugs. being on drugs. He yeah. was the Belushi of the pirates. He really was. Um, but yeah, when, when he did this, he, he, he said that time slowed down, right? The, the size of the ball would change while he was on the field. Um, <laughs> in the documentary, he just, he kind of makes light of it, actually. He's like, yeah, it wasn't even a really a big deal. Right. But it really did happen. And, 
Unfortunately, his drug use is probably part of the reason that he did not go on to continue uh, his rise to fame. But that story is absolutely true. And there are other stories with varying degrees of truth about the strange and at this point still mysterious interaction that hallucinations can have with a human being's brain. But there is one big question that comes up time and time again and is encountering a resurgence in popular culture today. And that is this. So can hallucinogens, can these substances have some kind of curative effect when dealing with things like addiction? Ah, yes, addiction. Yeah, it's an ugly topic, but let's let's talk about it just for a little bit. For some people, addiction is like a ghost to a skeptic, right? It's something you might not necessarily believe in because you have not encountered it yourself, but you still... Find yourself whistling ever so uncomfortably when you walk through a dark place at night, right? Mm. Uh, for others, the term addiction conjures the image of someone in their life, a friend, a relative, a loved one gone or on the way out like a guttering candle. For others, uh, the word addiction invokes a, a shame, right? A memory or a desire for substance, a behavior, an action or feeling. But what is, clinically speaking, what is an addiction, right? Well, uh, clinically speaking, it's a primary chronic disease of brain reward. It's something uh, like a motivation Mm -hmm. or a memory or some kind of related circuitry in the brain that associates one thing with pleasure, usually. Right, and that is a very important thing to note for our purposes today. An addiction has a physiological observable a process in mm-hmm. the human body and effect. So uh, addiction, uh, this is a quotation here, addiction affects neurotransmission and interactions within reward structures of the brain, including the nucleus accumbens, the anterior cingulate cortex, the basal forebrain, the amygdala, uh, such that motivational hierarchies are altered and addictive behaviors supplant healthy self-care-related behaviors. So what this means is it's kind of a... Um, it's kind of a detour if your brain is an interstate, which is... Yeah, sure. Yeah. It becomes the priority. You're going to take this exit every time, and all the rest of the mm. stuff on that highway doesn't matter, mm-hmm. uh, which could be everything from uh, eating, from getting your body nourishment to taking care of responsibilities in your life. Yeah, and a lot of those things you hear about with addiction, the priorities or the... Um, the behaviors, right? A lot of that can be traced to specific areas of the brain. Again, one thing that is very difficult for a lot of people who are dealing with addiction or have, whether it's their own addiction or someone in their life, right? Uh, one thing that can be difficult to accept is that there is a physiological basis. It's not just someone being a jerk, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, we also know that this is a widespread problem, right? We have uh, statistics to back it up. Oh, yeah, there are tons of statistics. This thing, addiction, this whatever you want to call it, uh, it is rampant. There are, let's see, in the U.S. alone, 23 million people over the age of 12 suffer some from some sort of addiction, either alcohol or drug-related. Mm-hmm. According to the WHO, the World Health Organization, the harmful use of alcohol alone results in 3.3 million deaths each year, despite the fact that less than half of the global population drinks alcohol. So 
less than half of the world drinks, there are still 3.3 million deaths a year. Yeah, that's uh, when we say less than half, we mean a little over 38 percent, mm-hmm. right? So it's still it's still more than a third of the population. I think that statistic's tricky because it sure, depends sure. on how you phrase it. But yeah, 3.3 million documented deaths, at least mm-hmm. that we we're not certain at how wide the methodology goes for that number. So, for instance, it could just be counting uh, deaths due to cirrhotic livers. It could be counting deaths due to drunk driving. It could be- And it doesn't necessarily mean addiction, right? Right. Like, it could be an overdose or a mm-hmm. car crash or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, harmful use of alcohol is is a specific phrase they use, too. But mm. we, we do know, regardless. Um, oh, and I guess we should say here, Matt, too, that addiction itself is not always something like alcoholism or opium or even caffeine or nicotine or some other drug. Uh, it could be a behavioral thing that your brain has latched onto, right? And we, we've seen these kind of addictions before. Uh, not in our personal lives, hopefully, but uh, addiction is real and it's dangerous worldwide. Again, we can see the mechanisms of addiction leaving physical marks in the human brain. So given all of these, the financial and the human cost of addiction on the world, on Mm -hmm. a global scale, all the way from petty crime to massive illegal drug markets. Oh, let's take a second. Hey, HSBC, uh, look at that. Some people still remember that you hang out hardcore with drug cartels and you haven't gotten in trouble. You haven't gotten in any serious trouble, but you, you run money for drug cartels. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, I think it's safe to say that some of the traditional programs, the, the 12-step programs, mm-hmm. they've been, I don't want to say debunked because that's not true. Uh, they've been shown to be a lot less effective than, I guess, we had thought. Right. Yeah, that is that is true because there are some difficulties grabbing numbers there. But also, at this point, research has shown that there are several factors that may contribute to a better chance at rehabilitation from addiction. You know, like a supportive community, mm-hmm. a family, a sense of purpose, things like that. However, there is no one-size-fits-all solution at this point. Absolutely not. Um, Now, this is something that we kind of want to look at that doesn't, maybe it doesn't necessarily pertain to this episode. I'm not sure. Let's let's look look into it and see what you think. All right. Um, So do, are there governments and corporations out there that don't necessarily want people to be free from addiction? Ah, okay. I see. Okay. I think I see where you're going, right? Yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is money. Well, yeah, money, but also also control. And this is this is a tangent. It's a bit conspiratorial, but we do know that this kind of encouragement of addiction has occurred at a state level before in the opium wars. Right. Mm-hmm. The the primary British export that they were pushing was opium, which can have a horrendous effect on a population, right? Mm-hmm. And and it did, and the opium wars were essentially an economic um, attempt to establish, you know, sovereignty over an independent civilization, right? Uh, but it's true. It, it's totally true. The, the British were slinging opium and encouraging addiction 
amongst these people. And arguably, especially if you're Gary Webb, you would say that that occurred more recently in uh, the the states. And while the British government was profiting like gangbusters because they were just shipping opium out like crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there is truth that drugs could be used to divide and control a population in a more... I guess a more current stance, uh, Iran has all but openly accused Western powers of financing an illegal drug trade to destabilize the country. And crystal meth is quickly replacing or quickly catching up to opium as one of the most abused drugs. And another thing we talked about in our episode on the DPRK was mm-hmm. their meth habits. Right. Yeah. There's also a massive rise in the use of crystal meth there in DPRK or North Korea. So we have to have that question present when we ask ourselves about the nature of addiction and addiction treatment. We've seen a lot of studies, especially in Western Europe, which is on the whole uh, a little bit more humane with its treatment of prisoners or people on the wrong side of the law. And what they've found is that they have more success when they have uh, rehabilitation centers rather than, I guess, punitive measures at the forefront, right? But also these are very different places with very different populations. So I'm not by any means saying it's a one-to-one comparison. Yeah, the enclosed culture is so different. I I would be interested to see how one of those facilities would function in the U.S. Right, yeah. So where do hallucinogens fit in with this? If we if we go past the tangent, then we do really want to hear what you think about it. Uh, if addiction is a thing that can be fully found in the human brain, a real thing, not an attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Not an opinion, but a, a neurochemical, neurological thing, then where do hallucinogens fit in with this? Right, because... Hallucinogens are drugs, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, totally. Legally, definitely, technically. So let's look at the definition here or just define some things before we hop in. Okay. Um, So hallucination is a substance, such as a drug, that causes people to see or sense things that are not real. It's also a substance that causes hallucinations. Now, (laughs) I know it sounds pretty simple. Maybe a little too simple, but there are three common types of hallucinogens. Okay. There are, there are psychedelics, there are dissociatives, and there are delirients. So let's look at LSD, which we mentioned at the very top with Mm -hmm. Albert Hoffman. It's a psychedelic like mescaline or DMT, which we have an episode on. If you're interested, check it out. It's in the video category. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position. 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Here's the thing. Uh, there's still quite a few questions about what exactly LSD or mescaline or DMT do to the human brain. While they could be classified as hallucinogens together in a group, it doesn't mean that they are the exact same thing. We think that might, it might work as what's called a 5-HT2A receptor agonist. But again, we think. This basically means that uh, one of the mechanisms they see it doing is that it it, it binds to serotonin receptors. However, Aha, pleasure centers, right? Yes, yeah, serotonin, the feel goods, uh, the scratches behind the ears of your brain. Mm-hmm. However, uh, there haven't been many, at least publicized studies on neurological effects or processes of LSD experimentation. But it has been studied as a possible treatment for alcoholism, and we'll have more on that in a second. Because that's not the only drug we'll talk about, too. Like, what's a disassociative? So a disassociative is something like ketamine, K, special K. Special K, uh, which confused me because you know I'm square when I oh, first Oh, yeah, cereal, man. That's yeah. what I hear. Uh, uh, this is, these have been used experimentally to treat heroin addiction. 
or at least there are attempts currently to try and make that work. Mm-hmm. And uh, delirians, that third thing, these are a little bit less fun, but they're fascinating to talk about. Uh, you may have heard about things like Mandrake or Deadly Nightshade or Jimson Weed, you know, the witchcraft stuff. I've heard of some of that from my RPGs that I play. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can collect Mandrake mm-hmm. in a lot of RPGs. Uh, so... These plants contain a thing called atropine, which is considered an essential medicine by the World Health Organization because it has a variety of uses. However, if you go to um, a website called arrowid.com, which has, it's like a user run thing about, a user run forum about drug use. Yeah, people talk about their experiences, right? Right. And we're not in any way, of course, condoning the the use of something illegal because if you use something illegal then the the consequences are probably going to outnumber the benefits right it's true but on, but on that site i would say it is it is maybe a helpful tool to see some of the negative and positive experiences with drugs if you're trying to get an objective viewpoint sure. of what it is like to do that drug sure i'm just saying that if you're going to take an illegal drug because you think it'll help you quit smoking or something, yeah. that's 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 a terrible reason to go to jail. Agreed. Because I'm sure you'll go to a non-smoking jail. Find a clinical trial. That's right, all I can right. say. So, uh, but this is, this is the thing. These delirians, right? This atropine, most people, at least the people we found on Arrowhead and people who had talked about trying it, uh, did not seem keen to repeat the experience. This seemed one of the more unpleasant drugs to do. But if we put all of this together, it turns out that this general group of drugs making neurochemical changes to parts of the brain might also, as a side effect, disrupt that cycle of reward and motivation, the engine powering addiction. So we know that these different drugs have all been used to hopefully to combat some form of addiction, right? That's right. And these substances, these these drugs, hallucinogens, have been they've been tested for quite a while. Maybe maybe not uh, a long time. Well, you can go back through history and you can look at some of the tribes that use things like ayahuasca, and mm-hmm. you can say Ibocaine. hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years. Sure. Uh, but if we go back to the 1960s, mm-hmm. uh, we can actually look at colleges like Harvard, mm-hmm. who were who were conducting studies with hallucinogens. Uh, you can look at the Harvard Psilocybin Project. This was um, a study by Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert. You might recognize those names. It was done at the Department of Psychology at Harvard mm-hmm. from 1960 to 1963. Uh, in these studies, psilocybin was administered to volunteer subjects. These were mostly graduate students, a couple of times undergraduate students, and that's why the study stopped in 1963. Ah. Um, but, but the way they were studied, this is what they would do, Ben. They would have these graduate students come into their the place where they were testing, mm-hmm. and both the subject and the tester, the person who was supposedly administering this thing, would take psilocybin, and they would see what happened and make a recording of it. And that was the extent of their testing. That sounds a little bit like... Just people hanging out and recording themselves doing drugs. Right. And that's what a lot of the faculty at, the, at Harvard said. And that's ultimately, I think, why it got shut down. Mm-hmm. But then those two guys, uh, Leary and Alpert, Alpert became Ram Dass, Timothy Leary, 
they both became huge members of the counterculture sure. with uh, hallucinogens. Yeah, you're right. Turn on, tune in, drop out. I think that's the way it went. Exactly. Uh, then you've got a second one at Harvard, Ben, that I'm just going to mention really fast mm-hmm. that I found pretty pretty funny. It, it was called the Good Friday Experiment. Now, this one was actually a double-blind test, unlike the uh, the Leary and Alpert study, right. where there were, there were 20 students who were given capsules. Each one is given a capsule. Ten of them had psilocybin in them. Uh, I'm not sure about the dosage. It didn't say in the, the document I was reading. But then the other ten had an active placebo, niacinic acid. that will give you nice and rush, so you mm. feel like something's going on, but there's no hallucinogen in uh, it. Niacin rush, also used in Scientology. Uh, Very is, true. Uh, the, it gets your skin hot, mm-hmm. kind of itchy, and you feel flushed. That's one of the big... That's one of the the biggest, most obvious symptoms. But you definitely feel like something's happening. Exactly. So what they did is they uh, all all these twenty students went in. They took their pill and they went to a Good Friday service at Harvard. Uh, this was done at Harvard Uni- University, but it was at Boston University where they went to a Good Friday service. And eight of the ten who received the hallucinogen reported quote mystical experiences. Though it is kind of funny, one of the students. Apparently, uh, had to be restrained and given Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic, mm-hmm. after he ran around, uh, ran out of the chapel down the street and proclaimed that he had to tell the whole world about uh, the new Messiah coming in. So that's one of those stories that you would hear in the news, maybe, about uh, a drug like this. Yeah, and one thing that's what's fascinating there is that we see, if you check out studies like that, um, and leaving alone MK Ultra and other CIA oh, yeah. experiments, because those those happened as well, and those those were not related to um, addiction as much as they were the possibility of controlling someone, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that all of those studies show is that the usual patterns of the way your mind works, if we go with the interstate idea, okay. the road system. Uh, starts to get detours, it gets chaotic, traffic is weird, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The same roads you drive every day don't lead you to the same place cognitively. The whole road becomes hyperdimensional sure. and kaleidoscopic. Yeah. Right, and where are we? What What is this thing asking we? Uh, so there's another study uh, that that applies this, this ibogaine stuff, uh, which has been used as a bark uh, chewed by various tribes, I think including people identifying as the pygmy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this has been used as in small amounts as a stimulant and larger amounts to encourage a mystical experience. In 1999, a study called The Treatment of Acute Opioid Withdrawal with Ibogaine found that it's a promising tool for combating heroin addiction. And the study specifically argues, and this is something that's weird to me, the study specifically argues that chemists should make a form of the drug divorced from the psychoactive feelings it creates, that instead uh, this should uh, be this should just function like methadone, right? Like methadone okay. removes some of the pain of heroin withdrawal, but doesn't get you high, if I understand. Uh, or it's similar to uh, this is a thing that's happening here in Georgia. Uh, it's similar to the the pol- cannabinoid oil. Yeah, the the politicians who want to take a moral stance, and they say, "Well, we're going to make this." thing purely as a medicine uh, and we assure you 
we can assure you one thing definitely. It is a medicine and it won't be something people will do for fun. Yes. And that's, that's because, you know, here in the States, there is this, the state, uh, this country is very, very different to Portugal or some other place, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there are punitive measures taken for drug abuse and there is a very, very strong argument that, uh, this attitude is economically motivated, right? But so, so I think that's weird. But what they found in this Ibogaine study is that it did work. It helped people get off heroin, which is a, a tremendously difficult drug to, to free oneself from. And other studies indicate that, uh, it has been useful in treating other other issues, not necessarily uh, addiction issues, but other issues uh, dating all the way back to 1957. The, yeah, the CIA studied it in the 50s, and one of the one of the things that you'll read often is people have even used it to get folks off of addiction to crack cocaine. Wow. Yeah, I and people aren't tremendously sure how they estimate that there are. Maybe two two big things that occur here. Uh, the first is metabolic. So ibocaine creates a protein that blocks receptors in the brain that trigger those cravings. Gotcha. So it kind of nips the withdrawal in the bud because your brain doesn't recognize that it wants that itch scratched, right? That's incredible. Yeah, and here's the weird thing. It tends to remove those withdrawals immediately, just like that bringing people back to their pre-addiction stage and a normal rehabilitation, that journey can take months. The second effect is much less clinical. It's where okay. we verge into the philosophical spiritual stuff, uh, which is that Ibocaine seems to inspire a dreamlike state with intense introspection. So people, you know, journey back through the matrix of their mind and find out you know, they, they look at themselves from outside in, I guess. That's one of the things that I keep hearing as I was looking into this. It's that these psychedelics, more so than anything, give a wider perspective, almost perspective outside of the ego yeah. of the person mm-hmm. who is going through addiction. And they they can finally look at themselves and say, why the heck am I doing this? Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. least that's that's that seems to be the common thread that I've been reading throughout these studies. But ibogaine isn't the only thing that right. they've been testing. Right, yeah. Uh, not just psilocybin, not just LSD. Um, if you look at ketamine, it's been used in psychotherapy for heroin addiction as well. Uh, it appears to have immediate effects. And also, um, they I think there's a study where they did a two-year follow-up already. Mm-hmm. So they looked at patients um, who, are, who are using ketamine as a psychotherapy, and they seem to be less likely to uh, to relapse after two years. Hmm. They also seem to be less likely to crave heroin, which is really nice. Right, yeah. And then if we go back, I think we mentioned earlier this study on LSD and alcoholism too, right? In 2012, some researchers, uh, Terry Krebs and Paul Orjan, found that uh, this, they did a retrospective analysis. Okay. So what that means is they took a bunch of existing studies from the 60s and the 70s. They put them all together. They ran the numbers on the results across all of these studies, many by people who did not know one another. And what they found is that 59% of people who took LSD in these studies who were alcoholics reported lower levels of alcohol abuse compared to 38% of people receiving a placebo. So they're especially, and I know those numbers might not sound super impressive 
if it were one study, but across multiple studies spanning decades, that is a compelling point. And these types of trials, it seems, are continuing, if anything, experiencing a bit of a renaissance, which leads me to a question, Matt. What, why did this take so long? If addiction is such a big problem, then why didn't doctors and governments go down this route earlier? Well, because of Nixon, Ben. Yeah, that's, I'm just kidding. Because it's of Nixon. Not just huh? because of Nixon. It's because of things that were put in place during the Nixon administration, though, about classifying Schedule One drugs with hallucinogens, uh, okay. um, other, even marijuana. Uh, some of the uses of THC hmm. in high enough doses can be hallucinogens, and there are all these drugs that were placed under this restrictive Schedule One tier. Right. And, uh, I think that's why. Because doctors, nobody wants their, their, you know, prestigious university or wherever you're going to be conducting studies to be, you know, using illegal substances. Right. Because Schedule One is bad business. Uh, yeah. here, here in the U.S., drugs are classified according to these groups that are for some reason called a schedule, which has to be so confusing if you've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So they're like Schedule 2, Schedule 3. Schedule 1 is the worst of the bunch. Yeah, no medical use. Right, no medicinal value, yeah. Uh, what is uh, high, Highly addictive? Highly addictive, uh, uh, high likelihood of poor, of health effects, right, of, of uh, deleterious effects mm-hmm. on your health or something. I can't remember the exact wording. But the biggest one is no medical use. Right. There's no reason to prescribe it. And certain things have in the past been misplaced in that schedule or moved, but it's very, very difficult, right, Mm -hmm. to get that changed. And, of course, there are conspiracy theories surrounding that idea, Yeah, uh, especially if you go back to the idea of control. Several of which you can hear in our earlier shows, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We what, highly recommend you check it out. What did we do? We did um, we did the marijuana conspiracy. We mm-hmm. did a little bit on it. I don't think we've done an audio show on it. No, uh, the, our special on DMT, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. about whether or not there's a whole other realm that you can access through that drug. And why so many people taking DMT tend to report the same or very similar experiences. The energy beings or the gnomes. Mm-hmm. The machine elves or the spirit machines. Uh, but again, Ben and I would just like to say we are not encouraging anyone to go out and do these things. Uh, consult Don't your do doctor. It illegally. Yeah, consult <laughs> your doctor. Don't do it illegally. It's not... It, it just seems so uh, ironic and terrible and unfair, I know, for someone who has a, a problem that they feel might be helped, you know, right. uh, and then find themselves in jail or even prison for attempting to do it. And unfortunately, that is that is a possible consequence. Also, Matt, neither of us are doctors. Um, Noel, I, I don't think you're a doctor. Noel's more of a doctor of love. Yeah. You know? But uh, so we we know that other people have experimented with this. Let's talk about Bill Wilson, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He tried LSD in a study, and it inspired him, in part, to start Alcoholics Anonymous. And he even told other members of the organization to try it out. But, however, the fellowship at large disagreed because and, – and I see how this is – this is a valid point to them. They said the tr- the idea of treating those who cannot control their substance use with another substance seemed then is now heretical. Uh, the link between spirituality and sobriety, however, remains a mainstay of the modern AA recovery thing, which is interesting because Bill Wilson said that he had 
um, a mystic experience. Yeah, like a, like a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And that story comes to us by a writer named Kelly Bordet writing for The Fix. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So if we look at that, uh, the politics of Alcoholics Anonymous, or 
at least that's the, the opinion of that piece, may have held back some progress on LSD. Now, that's a very small part of it, of course, because as you said, the 70s, the, the scheduling of stuff is, is really what was a, a hindrance to this kind of research. But these aren't the only things holding back these studies. Mm-hmm. Let's look at an example. Uh, Dr. John Halpern, he's the head of the Laboratory for Integrative Psychiatry at the McLean Hospital. He's running an MDMA cancer study. Well, he told the New York Times, quote, What drug company is going to invest millions in a substance widely available in our flora and fauna? Government regulations are predictively tight. Also, stigma looms large for those interested scientists. Okay, so that sounds like a, there are a couple of different things going on there. Mm. One, it's uh, there. This seems like there's not much of a financial incentive, especially if something's already on a schedule, to to pay for it. Yeah, because you can go out and pick it. Is what this guy's saying. He's, Why would you yeah. pay for it when you can walk outside? Why and- would you monetize ayahuasca or something, right? Uh, and then, or what would be the use? And then it also sounds like the the strict government regulations up the price tag even more. The stigma part is interesting to me because yeah. academic stigma is such a big deal, and more so than people know outside of the ivory tower. It's chilling to wonder how many legitimate things have been shut down because they didn't fit with the current orthodoxy of a given discipline. Or were just chosen not to even be uh, be looked into mm-hmm. by someone because they were afraid of that stigma. And But there's another reason here, too. And I, th- I think that's a great point. You, you don't want to risk your career for something that ends up being malarkey, right? There is another point here, though, that is exciting, dangerous territory, we, we being the human species, don't know a lot about how many of these drugs work. I mean, MDMA doesn't just show promise for cancer. It shows promise for uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder treatment, right? But like the rest of these drugs, it has side effects that we have yet to comprehend. And And the analogy it makes me think of is... It might be the equivalent of trying to shave with a chainsaw. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get the hair off. Yeah. <laughs> but what else will you lose in the process? <laughs> oh lord. So, if you want to learn more about all of this stuff, there are a lot of places you can go. Uh, one of them is maps.org. That's the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Again, that's maps m a p s dot org. Yes, and we have a question for you as well, listeners. Do you think this research has been actively suppressed? We hear this sometimes in stories that relate to, uh, you know, the the idea of a cure for HIV or a cure for cancer. Is there is there a silver bullet cure for addiction that was being suppressed, and if so, why? We know there's a stigma for scientists. We know, you know, Matt, as you said, that the anti-drug culture of the 70s in this in the west at least in the states held this back but as that changes are we going to see more stuff or cuz we want to be fair to the other side Matt or is this a bunch of bunk by people who want to get paid to, to get high to trip acid yeah. right but before we move on let's make an important point here we want to make this abundantly clear while we might be joking around about some aspects of this kind of stuff, we are by no means cavalier about the horrors of addiction. Statistically speaking, it is quite possible that someone listening to this show right now has some sort of relationship with an addiction, whether it's your own addiction, whether it's the addiction of someone else you know, right? And this is 
a disease. This is not, again, this is not someone just being crappy. You know what I mean? There, there is a, there is a reason for this. There's a physiological reason. This is not an attitude. And the best thing that we can do, we, again, being the human species, of course, is to attempt to help anyone in that kind of situation. Yeah, and find new ways to treat it. Right. And if you yourself, uh, need some sort of, you know, you need some sort of help, don't know what to do, then now more than ever, although I hate to steal that line, it is possible to find help. So please, I know it's probably a corny cliche thing that people say, but a lot of corny and cliche things are corny and cliche because they are true. Please, it is easy now, easier now than ever to, to find some sort of light in the darkness. With that in mind, and in part in the soapbox, uh, what do you think about doing some listener mail? Absolutely, Ben. I've got one right here, and this is kind of a long one, listener, so Ben and I are going to switch back and forth uh, and uh, tell you all about it. Mm-hmm. This is a message from Dan, and Dan says, Hey there, I'm a longtime fan of How Stuff Works, but I've only recently started listening to your particular podcast. I've listened to SYSK, That's Stuff You Should Know, right back from 2008, back when I was but a wee lad of 14, but I've rarely felt motivated to contact Josh and Chuck. Well, hey, you should contact them, dude. Mm-hmm. They'll probably listen to you. They're pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Especially after the move over towards anti-social media. Your show, however, I've only just discovered. Suffice it to say that I haven't been seen without earphones on since then. And with a myriad of other videos left to check out, I've been info-binging. And we, uh, we're we we're going to go through parts of the story here, Dan. Uh, so Dan said, from a very young age, I've always just been so into learning, learning about anything I could. Discovering at first how stuff works, then later stuff you should know gave me plenty and plenty to think about, and I certainly got into thinking. But as anyone who knows me knows, with me, there's always been a yearning for something more than just thinking. I got at first into psychedelics, then deeply into philosophy. I studied philosophy of religion, uh, Biology, chemistry, geography, critical thinking at A level, which from what I can guess is sort of like high school for you guys. It was at college where I first discovered critical thinking, which leads me back to the point of my email. And then he goes on to summarize just a little bit about how he passed his A levels, got into a good university, and he realized that he, he didn't just like learning and and something was missing, right? Because he wanted to study uh, something other than philosophy. But then he decided he needed to study philosophy. So he went to the department and asked them if he could study in their department. To my delight, they'd said that I'd impressed them so much in their interview that they'd love to have me as a student in their, in their faculty. But I'd have to wait until the next year because there's no way I'd be able to catch up on what I'd already missed. I was devastated. Before long, everything hit the fan. It went down the pan, out the window to the dogs, and spread around in a few other areas. The fan was powerful. It it got very messy. I won't go into the details because I could write you ten emails about why, what, who, where, but I found myself with a pretty bad heroin addiction. And I'll summarize a little bit here. Uh, He ended up eventually dropping out of university and 
he decided to go to rehabilitation and he had a lot of help from his parents or pushing on that. And he was relatively isolated. And in this time, he began focusing on what he was hearing and remembering lots of stuff he'd forgotten in his addiction. I'll pick it up here. Uh, remembering back to philosophy and books such as Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky, The No Logo by Naomi Klein, as well as existentialist and dystopian literature like Nausea by Sartre, Fear and Trembling by Kierkegaard, Human All Too Human by Nietzsche, and of course, Brave New World in 1984. And he says... After leaving rehab and after many relapses, right up until basically the time I found your podcast a few weeks ago, I find myself now writing this email, remembering back to my A-levels and thinking to myself how critical thinking classes were an odd thing to find back then. This is why I am emailing you. I am writing to thank you for confronting me with the power of critical thinking and helping me to remember why I was so fascinated with knowledge to begin with. And Dan goes on to say, thinking in itself is half of my problem. I overanalyze and overthink to the point that I have no firm ground to establish myself upon. But in discovering your podcast, I've learned some new things, been reminded of a lot I'd learned before, but most importantly, been inspired to go out and learn more. I know I have the power to shape my life with knowledge, thoughts, and ideas, but I had forgotten. I don't want you to feel responsible in case I trip up again, but it is in this reignition of my passions I'm able to say no to heroin once more. This time, five or six weeks ago, I was laying in a squat, injecting any vein I could find, with no friends, no family, no values, morals, or any hope, just an iPod. And today I stand proud saying that even though it's early days again, I found the courage to pick myself up off the floor yet again. It doesn't matter if you fall over, as long as you can stand up afterwards. You know, Dan, we, we can't read the whole letter, and there are probably parts that we shouldn't read, but yeah. uh, this, this, is, uh, this is a powerful thing, and we, I, I know that I can say, I can't, I can't speak for everybody on the show, but I can definitely say that keep going, man. I hope that when you hear this, I, this, this is um, a few months old now, but I, I hope when you hear this episode uh, that you're able to, you know, Lift your chin up and uh, think about the amazing role you're on, the amazing streak. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep going strong, Dan. I, I think maybe you give ben and, ben and I a little too much credit there. For sure. Um, yeah. But we are certainly glad that you appreciate what we're doing what we're doing here, and we appreciate the effort that you're putting in every day. So keep going, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be here. So keep listening. <laughs> we hope we'll be here. Yes. Uh, but, and also for, for anybody else listening, again, there are, there, there is light mm-hmm. at the end of a tunnel. And we hope that you have enjoyed this episode, despite that this is, despite it, it being a very heavy subject. Um, and we will keep you updated as we learn more about the, legal status of hallucinogens used to treat addiction and the upcoming studies, because there are a lot that are still out there. The one thing I'm super hooked on is caffeine, and I haven't found any study about that. You and me both, buddy. You and me both. And probably most people. Actually, when I look around, I don't know how many people, I don't think there are many that aren't addicted to caffeine here. I don't know how we would do this job without it. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's strange. Uh, one one thing for anybody who is contemplating quitting caffeine, uh, you know, I guess do do what you will, but uh, do be careful if you get the caffeine headaches and you take a pain reliever to stop those headaches. 
check the pain reliever first because a lot of them contain caffeine as well. Uh, and those caffeine headaches are real. I, <laughs> I have tried a couple times to stop and man, I get splitting headaches when mm-hmm. I don't have enough. Ugh, it's terrifying. So anyway, wait, what? What is that noise? I'm not sure, but I think it means it's time for our moment with Noel. Hey, Noel. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's going okay. How are you? Uh, we're doing all right. Oh, yeah. Pretty pretty heavy subject here today. It is indeed. But, uh, but there's, there's uh, an inspiring thing or possible good news, you know, if we have... If we have this ability, being civilization, not the three of us, but if we have this ability to help people out of an addiction, you know, it's it's food for thought for sure. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that, that occurred to me when you guys were talking about you know alternatives for treating serious addictions like like heroin and opiate addiction, um, how you know there aren't a ton of inroads being made to alternatives to things like uh, methadone, and it kind of got me thinking about this documentary I saw uh, years ago called Methadonia. That's sort of about like how many methadone clinics are privately owned and almost treated like franchises, really? like of a McDonald's or something Whoa. like that. And so there's a lot of profit. There's a lot of money to be made. In, in that kind of treatment and you know to your point of like well are, are they really trying to get people off it or are they just substituting one addiction for another sure. and a lot of people that, that take methadone end up taking it you know for the rest of their lives or for a very very mm-hmm. long time and it kind of got me doing a little internet rabbit holing and I found this article from the Boston Globe from last year about how uh, this private equity firm Bain Capital spent 700 million dollars acquiring a chain of methadone clinics in the Boston area holy crap and it just I mean not to say that because someone's making a profit on something that means necessarily an insidious thing right. but it just does kind of get you thinking especially when there are you know more natural I just, yeah, I did not know that they were privatized. Yeah, it's, it's a mix, but I mean, there's definitely a large, a large contingent of private methadone clinics. Well, I guess from a business perspective, I've, it sounds terrifying to say it, but from a business perspective, there is a built-in demand. Yeah. For sure. Wow. Ugh. Noel, this might be one of the. Uh, this is the worst moment we've had with you, Noel. <laughs> you got me internet rabbit holing. But while I was doing that, I did receive a uh, a call uh, saying that I won a free trip to the Bahamas. So oh. I, I may not be back next week to have another one of these downer moments. With oh us. man! Wait, wait! Don't don't leave us. It's bittersweet. Don't know, man. You can Skype. You can Skype me. Oh. In. <laughs> we can Skype in our producer. <laughs> cool. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's try it. We're on the we're on the forefront. I am going to uh, check out that. I am going to check out that issue about privatization of methadone clinics. And also, uh, no no offense to Noel, but uh, I I hope that if you do go on a cruise, it's it's not too long because you know you're part of the show. Right. Yeah, or, or just take us with you. Right, or take us with you. Right, and listeners, you are also part of the show. I'm, in our opinion, the best part of the show. So I, I think it's wrong for us to say we hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. Uh, but we do hope that this piqued your interest and that you found um, you, you found something worthwhile or something you want to look into more. We'd like to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And we have a website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's all about the journey when you're typing, I guess. Uh, and on that website, you can see everything that we have ever done. Yep. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, 
You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.